At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the moment of truth from Microsoft and Alphabet, both ready to report earnings in overtime. The investment committee sizing up what's at stake for both, what's at stake for this market. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, and Josh Brown. Let's check the markets here. We do have an S&P 500 that is barely positive, 49.28. Dow's good for a, a fraction there, and the Nasdaq's a modest loser here. We'll get into some of the reasons why the Nasdaq is uh, giving a little bit back. But, Joe, let's kick it off. Uh, the moment of truth, really, for Microsoft, and you own this stock. I do, and, the, and these are companies that are reporting tonight that have been so significant in contributing to the artificial intelligence, the generative AI theme that's dominated the equity market in 2023. So what do we want to hear from uh, tonight? Clearly, Copilot and the ability for Copilot now to be used by consumers and small businesses. That's helping build this road, this road to generative AI adoption. And the estimate is in 2025, that's when we're going to see that road completed. That's when we're gonna see the revenue contribution. Mm -hmm. And I expect tonight to be good. I expect revenue is gonna be somewhere around 16%. I think you know cloud growth is gonna be strong in the mid 20s. Mm -hmm. The only thing that could disrupt the positive narrative surrounding Microsoft is if Satya Nadella pushes out the time frame on the delivery of revenue attributable to generative AI beyond 2025. So where's the bar? The market cap is now above $3 trillion. Mm -hmm. It is the most valuable company in the market by market cap. It's eclipsed Apple. Mm -hmm. The stock is up 9% in three plus weeks, almost mm -hmm. four weeks. The valuation is at 33.3 times. Mm -hmm. What does that do to the bar? How good does this have to be to keep this going? 10-year average on valuation, I think, is 20, 23. 20, 20, 23, so it's 23, 23, 23. versus 23 okay. with okay, the but that's, so I'm, forget I'm, about that. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with paying a premium for Microsoft. I'm fine with paying a premium with Alpha, for Alphabet because you should be. If you go back to October 1st and look at all the sectors in the S&P 500, you know the only sector where growth estimates have actually risen? Technology. So that's, that's quality. That's the reliable, sustainable earnings growth. And it also has the innovation that I could see in the future is going to accelerate the revenue growth okay. even more. I ask you again, where is the bar how high is the bar i think isn't look, a lot of what you said is obviously in the stock at this right point. so here's how i think about it in terms of 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 owning it um is is the bar high of course the bar is high is the stock susceptible to a correction yes 
But is the stock susceptible to an inflection point? No, I don't think so. And for all the skeptics out there, and we have this overwhelming skepticism from the discretionary crowd. The discretionary crowd doesn't trust the rally. The non-discretionary crowd, okay, they are comfortably confident. They, they finally have a trend building. And there's no stronger trend that has been built than in technology itself. So to defeat that trend, I think you would have to hear something incredibly ominous tonight, and the probability in my mind of that occurring is low single digits at best. Josh, set the stage for us on how you're going to be looking at Microsoft. You, you don't own the stock, but that doesn't matter because you own ones around it, and it matters, especially now that it is the most valuable company in this market. Yeah, I think it does. I think it matters a lot. And it doesn't just matter because of its weight in a lot of the index uh, and a lot of the ETFs. I think it matters just from a sentiment perspective. This is a company that is expecting revenue for the quarter up 16 percent to 61 billion dollars, uh, which would be a pretty big year over year gain for any company, let alone the largest company in the world. Earnings per share expect to come in at two dollars, 76 cents. Um, when you look at the individual components here, uh, they want cloud growth of 17.5%. That's consensus. Um, they want to see productivity and business up 10%. Like these are, these are big asks. And then, like Joe said, the co pilot thing is a little bit of a wild card. They're asking $30 per seat per month. How many do they think they can sell this year? How many have they sold already? This is, I think, going to be a really exciting report for a lot of reasons, especially if you're involved in the other AI names. I want to point out, though, uh, just this confluence of events that we have here because it's pretty unique. You have Google, you have Microsoft, you have AMD and Starbucks all reporting at once, and you're asking Joe, what is the bar? Like, how high have we set the bar? Scott, I think you're asking the right question. If you think about AMD up 135% over the last year, uh, up another 20% just year to date, and it's only been a month, um, this is a stock that now has a very high RSI. Uh, it's quite overbought on any time frame that you want to look at. So the bar is extremely high. Uh, can they justify a 20% year to date, uh, a 20% year to date rally, and 135% last year. And is the stock already pricing in all the good news? So you have that issue with all these names. Mm -hmm. That's a 70 RSI. You have Google, Alphabet's a 73 RSI tonight. Uh, Microsoft 74, and Starbucks, believe it or not, 78. So when 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 someone says, "Where's the bar?" I look at RSI because I want to get a sense of how overbought these companies are going into the print, and all of them qualify as being uh, overbought. They could get more overbought, but the bar is high. That's why there is just so much intrigue around these, as we say, especially for Microsoft, the moment of truth. Steve Kovac following this for us. Uh, you want to just, you know, take off on, on where Josh left off of, of the bar being high, and this is, in fact, the moment of truth, maybe the, the most moment of truth that this company's ever faced. 
Yeah, and, and let's talk about where that bar is, because the thing I think most people need to watch, actually, Scott, is this Azure cloud growth number. Now, I know you guys were expecting me to kind of talk about Copilot and AI, but I promise I'm going somewhere with this because it's all related. Now, a quarter ago, we learned all that activity that OpenAI has been seeing. That's actually directly benefiting Microsoft's cloud business. That's because OpenAI, it runs its systems on the Azure cloud, and that's part of Microsoft's massive stake it has in the startup. The better OpenAI does, the better Microsoft does. That's what you guys got to remember. So any headlines you see about business deals for OpenAI, some of that is going to flow over to Microsoft. Now, for Microsoft's fiscal first quarter report, that was three months ago, Azure cloud growth hit 29%, beating expectations by about three percentage points. And Microsoft, well, they credited OpenAI for some of that unexpected growth we're seeing and a reacceleration of Azure growth after so many years of cost cutting over there. Now, for this report, the street expecting 27.5% growth over there for Azure. But if Microsoft beats that, guys, Take that as a sign. It has two strong revenue streams related to AI. There's direct sales of Copilot Assistant and the cloud sales from other AI companies, including OpenAI, operating on the Azure cloud. And that's especially important after Azure cloud growth slowed so dramatically over the last couple of years as Microsoft. They were helping their customers cut costs and, and optimize uh, for cloud usage. And look, also, I doubt we're going to get solid sales figures for Copilot. It went on sale last fall for those big businesses. But if you see a big jump in Microsoft 365 sales, you can probably credit Copilot for some of that. And as folks have mentioned here, it's now open to more customers, smaller businesses, and even individual consumers. So on the call, you're going to want to hang on to every word we get from CFO Amy Hood, what she says about Copilot momentum and sales, and of course, the guidance for the quarter coming up, Scott. Yeah, Steve, stay with me. Um, I, I'm curious, Jenny, to talk to somebody who doesn't own right. a lot of these names who is betting big on a broadening of the market when in fact we've gotten a little more narrow of late, you know, since the start of the year. How do you view this and the importance of it to, you know, the way that you're thinking about playing this market? Well, when you ask where's the bar, my immediate thought is the bar is perfection. And I don't think, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. And I'm not comfortable investing with the need for perfection to come out on the earnings call. So I think, you know, it just, just mathematically, it has such a big part of the index that we really need decent earnings. I don't really see a way that even if Microsoft misses and disappoints, like I don't see a way that the stock tanks. It's just too kind of foundational in people's portfolios. It's too foundational in indexes. But I think, and this is what I've been arguing, I think it could, over the next decade, lose that strong performance leadership because it is, I believe, priced to perfection. So when we're talking about 16% revenue growth and 33 times earnings, those aren't crazy, but they're also pretty great. So how I play it with this is I, I actually went through our, our discipline growth strategy, right, which is S&P-like, and looked at what our top 10 holdings are. So these are the things that I like. I like companies like Fiserv that are trading at 16.4 times earnings and also have a about 15% earnings growth ahead. I like companies like, um, here's another one for you, Aptiv, which I've talked about a bunch, which, which does um, the wire harnesses for electric, electrification of cars and EVs. Aptiv's trading at about 15 times and has 22% earnings growth ahead. So if Microsoft makes you uncomfortable the way it makes me uncomfortable, because I believe it's priced to perfection, I think they need perfect reports to move up from here, then you can avoid it. And there's all these other companies that you can kind of look at. It's so, I mean, Look, the fact of the matter is, is that these 
mega cap stocks have made investors like you uncomfortable for many, many, many ah, months. Correct. Many years. months. I'll give you years, Scott. Well, I mean, at some point you see the writing on the wall and you're like, you know, may- maybe maybe I need to own it. I mean, you, okay. you, it's not like you don't own any, any of these stocks. Right. But also, and this is the hey, argument stop, I've been fight, making. Stop fighting the tide, I guess, is part of the. The reaction, if, if right? The, if the benchmark, if your benchmark is the S&P 500, and I've been arguing this from the time I came on the show five and change years ago, if your benchmark is the S&P 500, you do not have to own those. If you're a good portfolio manager, you can seek out a collection of 30 other companies and beat the S&P. Do well. On you, mo- yes, in most in most years, it, in most times. Okay. Last year you didn't. Really. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, again, the, the I'm not allowed general, to talk about performance. I'm not talking about you. I don't mean S&P. like you specifically. I'm just saying it was really hard to beat the market last year if you were not in the mega cap names. It was hard. Right? Fair. But fair if, point. Fair point in general. But in general, if you're a really good manager and you do really good work, you could beat the S&P 500 last year without owning. And this is on the growth side, right? Not on the dividend side. That's just impossible. Dividends couldn't have beat it. But on the growth side, if you're a very good growth manager and you sought out companies like. Um, like United Rentals, like Palo Alto. You know, those things were up hundreds of percent, like Uber. That's fair. You could, earn, you could not own those top 10 because they just make you queasy. And, and that's, you know, that's what I just argue for, which is you don't have to own it. You right. can own other things. Hey, Steve Kovac, before I, I let you go, uh, we do see this story here. It's related to Apple. And I alluded to the reason why the NASDAQ was given a little bit up as we came on the air today. It's this note out of Asia from an analyst there, I believe, which suggests that iPhone shipments are likely to decline, I'm reading the headline here, likely to decline significantly by about 15% year over year due to structural challenges. What do you know? Yeah, so this is coming from Ming-Chi Kuo, Scott. He's that uh, just ace Apple analyst over there at TF International Securities. He has great supply chain sources, basically a perfect track record. And yeah, he says shipments of the iPhone are going to drop 15% in 2024 versus last year. That's hitting the stock right now. You see it down about a percent and a half. Uh, But what's really interesting, Scott, is the rationale, he says, behind it. And it's all about the Chinese consumer basically saying the Chinese consumer loves those foldable phones that we've been seeing for from the likes of Samsung and other Android makers. The high end of that market is really gravitating towards that form factor. Obviously, Apple doesn't have a foldable phone right now. Uh, Quo has also said Apple's working on that, but that's still a few years out. And the other part of it is something we've been talking about a lot, Huawei coming back online and offering some more competition, that homegrown company uh, making smartphones again. And uh, we've seen evidence over the last few months uh, taking some uh, market share away from Apple. So those are the primary concerns behind this call that he's making. And again, you see shares down about one and a half percent on that, Scott. Yeah, second largest company by market cap, obviously, in the market. And that's why you've got a little bit of a bleed. Um, in stock. Steve, thanks. I appreciate that. We'll see you later. That's Steve Kovac. The other moment of truth today, obviously, Alphabet, um, to show that it's capable of competing, right, with Microsoft and others. Deirdre Bose is following that story for us. What do we need to hear tonight? So, Scott, nobody doubts that Alphabet has the technology. In fact, it pioneered the LLM. The question is around, you know, can it create these killer use cases? Can it actually monetize it? Why did it let OpenAI have sort of this mainstream moment for chatbots a year and a half ago. So Alphabet is going to have to make the case that it is at the forefront, that it can actually provide consumers and businesses with something that they actually want to use. Gemini Ultra, that's the most advanced version of its latest large language model. That is coming out anytime soon. Um, So any numbers around there. But you know what? 
I'm actually kind of with Steve Kovac, what he said a few minutes ago. It's still largely about cloud for the hyperscalers. And I think that's the case for Alphabet. If you remember last quarter, it beat expectations. But that cloud growth number is what really hit the stock. The next day, it was down about 8 or 9%. So the street is looking for about 22% growth in terms of its cloud revenue. So it's got to hit that and then sort of provide all of that commentary around generative AI. And of course, they go hand in hand because cloud is also where a lot of the AI proposition sets. Yeah, good setup for us. Uh, we'll see you this evening as well. Can't wait for these reports. Georgia Bose, thank you very much for that. I mean, approaching $2 trillion in market cap in its own right there. Um, the stock, Josh, is up 9% year to date. And I, I do feel like this is, you know, each earnings report now for, you know, the foreseeable future is prove it. Prove that Microsoft hasn't eaten your lunch, your dinner, and has made reservations to eat all of your other meals ahead in AI as well. Yeah, I don't think anyone serious believes that it's over and Microsoft has won. I know that was the narrative a year ago, but Alphabet has already proved uh, that that's not true. The knock on Alphabet, which we've heard from very smart people like uh, Brad Gerstner, is that they had search all to themselves for 15 years and they will not have the next generation of computing to themselves. Uh, I think that's sort of priced in here. Microsoft is a 31 times forward PE and Google is 23. That's a substantial difference. So I think you're already seeing that concern uh, reflected in the way that these stocks have been valued over the last, I don't know, 18 months now. Google is actually the cheapest of the four big names reporting tonight on a price to free cash flow basis, 25 times versus 29 times for Starbucks, 48 times for Microsoft, and Jenny, close your ears, 216 times price to free cash flow for AMD. So Alphabet's not in that league. Now you look at the expectations. 22% for Google Cloud might be a stretch. I hope they can do it. I'm a shareholder. 16% for YouTube advertising, very doable. 13% growth for search, very doable. Um, revenue of 85 billion, that would be up 12% year over year. That's not an outrageous overall expectation. So I think the report will be good. I think they've learned their lesson, the things to say and not to say as it relates to the AI opportunity. And uh, I don't think they want to look like chumps again. So that's the one I feel the best about going mm. into tonight's reports. Joe, what about you? you I, could, too. I, I could see that Alphabet is, is clearly a sleeper. I think what Alphabet has to its benefit that maybe Microsoft doesn't is that there's a lot of room to improve upon sentiment towards the stock. There definitely was more skepticism uh, regarding Alphabet in the last 18 months than there was in Microsoft. And you're seeing it reflected in very strong inflows into the name early in the year. Um, I could clearly see Alphabet being the sleeper of the MAG-7 or the MAG-5, whatever the, we're calling them nowadays. The in twenty, Whatever they are, in, 20, in 2024. But, but I think what is most important, because Josh is citing RSIs, look, the RSI in, in Alphabet is above 70 as well. But let's understand what that collectively means. That does not mean a dramatic inflection point. I don't think we're thinking about January 30th of 2024 in the sense in future years of, wow, that was the peak moment for Microsoft. That was the peak moment for Alphabet. Could these stocks correct? Absolutely. They could correct. They could consolidate. Market could go to other places. Uh, 
capital could go to other places in the market and broaden out. But the, the story, the narrative surrounding generative AI and cloud growth is not over for these two companies. Yeah, it's not even just the two. I mean, the, the pressure. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, real, you have to do it real quick, what, though. What, what, uh, okay. One of the things with the current generation of AI tools like ChatGPT and other LLMs is that they are, for the most part, making use of structured data, text. The thing with Alphabet that people haven't yet understood is the unstructured data opportunity represented by all of the images that Google has cataloged, which is probably in the billions, and trillions of minutes of video. That kind of unstructured data, monetizing that, none of that has even begun yet. And if they talk about that topic versus ChatGPT 3.5, 3.7, 3.9, if they go to the next level of this in the imagination of the investing public, I think the stock could get, I don't know about a full re-rating, but it shouldn't be at this much of a discount to Microsoft. Yeah, you got to believe the pressure is on AMD. I know Josh talked about it already. He sold the stock the other day, of course, because the gain over the last three months was just extraordinary, up better than 80%. Christina Partzinevelos is following this story for us today and, and, and says, basically, don't look for AI to save the company this quarter. So what does that mean? Well, that means not this quarter, but it still means that the stock climb high because of just outlook and guidance. You guys already talked about it. Expectations are high. You talked about the stock being up 26 year to date. It's more than doubled since October. But that bar actually might be just a little bit high heading into the print, just based off of just the reports I've read, the, the, the consensus. Firstly, why is that? Intel's weak Q1 guide serves as, as a barometer for AMD since a large portion of AMD's business does consist of the same kind of business, traditional servers and personal computers. So that non-AI weakness in Q1 this current quarter has some rethinking their estimates. For example, AMD's EPS estimates, earnings per share, have come down about over 12% since October 1st. And then secondly, as Raymond James actually points out this morning, AMD's new AI GPU chip, the MI300, more specifically the MI300X, is only just starting to ship with AMD thus far announcing three major customers. That would be Microsoft, Meta, and Oracle. So that should drive momentum in the second half of this year, not necessarily the first half. AMD estimates that its AI chip will bring in roughly $2 billion in revenue in 2024, but many are actually expecting that number to double, or I should say hoping that number, number will double this upcoming earnings, even if AMD is not an AI portion is weak right now. So that's where that whole thesis comes from, Scott. A bullish outlook for their AI GPU chip could offset any near-term weakness and help this stock out of earnings. But if we don't get that, then mm. you may see a more negative or muted reaction in the stock. We'll see an OT uh, as well on what I think, Josh, is fair to say, um, with all due respect to Amazon and Apple and even the Fed chair himself, this just feels like the biggest evening of this week uh, for the market, just given what the narrative is and what all of these stocks have done and, and, and really what's riding on it. We already feel like we know, you know, Fed's not going to do anything this week. The market's already made up its mind on, on where things are heading there. But tonight's pivotal. This is it. The, tonight and tomorrow night and third, this is it. This is all, I have to tell you, this is all that matters. Uh, John Butters at FactSet did something really interesting on Friday that I don't think has gotten enough attention. Um, but he looks at the MAG7 and notes that six of those companies are projected to be the top six positive contributors to the year-over-year -year earnings growth estimate 
for the entire S&P 500 in this quarter's earnings. So Nvidia, Amazon, Meta, Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, these six stocks are going to report year-over-year earnings growth of 53.7% for these Q4 numbers. If you pull those companies out, the, the actual and the estimated results, earnings for the remaining 494 companies in the index are actually negative 10.5%. Mm-hmm. So all of the growth that we're expecting for this quarter You're either going to hear about it this week or you're not. It ain't coming from anywhere else. Well, let's be clear, too, Jenny, you know, before we take a break. I mean, earnings thus far have not been great. You know, there are stories here and there that have been good. Overall, not great. I thought Ken Griffin's comments to Leslie Picker down in Miami were interesting about the overall environment. Um, Inflation's moderating at a pace that's frankly better than the market anticipated. We may get Goldilocks, may get a soft landing, may get no landing. Looking at a moment in time where inflation is in the low twos, the Fed can start to cut rates this summer. We'll see unemployment touch up a little bit, but the overall economy looks pretty damn good right now. That's what Ken Griffin said, and he's managed to, uh, you know, manage their money at Citadel better than almost everybody over these last few years at minimum. But that that brings me back to kind of my beginning of the year thoughts, which is you're right. Earnings haven't been great. And we need earnings to come in this year at plus 12 percent growth or we're not going to make it to that two hundred and forty seven dollar estimate. You better hope that story starts to radiate tonight. You put it 20 times on that and you're where you are today, pretty much. So there I I do not see how broadly the S&P moves off from here. And you're right. We better start to hear some good numbers tonight or. Kiss the 247 goodbye. All right. Well, up next, uh, speaking of earnings, we do have a bunch of movers to talk about some good, some bad. General Motors is popping on a beat. We're going to hear from Jim Labenthal. He's standing by overseas with his reaction. Plus, the trades on Whirlpool, JetBlue, Pfizer, and more. And later, how about this? A short seller nicknamed the Assassin, revealing a new target today. Well, the stock's getting hammered. And she's going to join us live to discuss. It's an exclusive. Halftime's back in two minutes. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible.
Distributed by Foreside Fund Services, LLC. All right, we're back. Shares of General Motors are higher today after beating estimates. Shareholder Jim Labenthal joins us on the phone right now. Jimmy, up seven and three quarters percent. Thank you for putting down your fondue skewer and joining us on the phone <laughs> from an undisclosed location in the Alps. I, uh, I hope you're having fun, but uh, talk to me about this. I'm having a great time, and today's news certainly doesn't hurt. Um, this GM report was pretty fabulous. I mean, it wasn't so much the fourth quarter earnings, but has everybody seen this guidance going forward? In terms of free cash flow, they're guiding 50% higher for the year than where the street was, um, about 20% higher in terms of the midpoint on EPS. So people are buying cars, guys. They may not be buying EVs, and maybe that'll change, but they're buying Chevys, they're buying GMs. Um, and it's coming through in free cash flow, cash balances, share buybacks, all the things you want. And by the way, great A block, great A block. Of course, the Mag 7 matters, but you're seeing more than the Mag 7 perform here. So, you know, Jenny knows what I'm talking about here. Yeah, but you need to have staying power, obviously. I mean, look, this stock's up a lot, 40% near in, in the last three months. The 52-week high on it is north of 43 bucks. We marching in that direction, Jimmy? I think we're going past that, Scott, and here's why. Because even if for a little while, and I'll be the first to admit, this thing has just been languishing for years. But if it continues to do that, these guys are going to be buying back shares like crazy. They've got so much cash flow with which to do so. Let them do it. I don't know. I think it's about 65% of book value right now. Let them just keep buying it back. The only thing that will worry me here is if we had a recession. But is, is anybody even talking about that anymore? I mean, and I don't mean to sound glib or pounding my chest. I just don't think any of us are thinking that's in, in the cards. Yeah. Uh, you had even more reason to pound the schnapps today. Uh, Cleveland Cliffs is up 5% too. Well, I, you know, and I think, it, I think it gives the fundamental reason that the rally can broaden. When you've got a steel manufacturer, an integrated steel manufacturer like Cleveland Cliffs, just not only killing it for the quarter, but telling you that this year they're going to probably sell more in volume. They've got lower costs to produce the steel. Pricing is hanging in there. Um, by the way, they have uh, about they have about 2.9 billion in net debt. They're probably going to do close to 2 billion in free cash flow right now on a 10 billion uh, dollar market cap. What are they going to do with that cash? They can't buy back more debt. Let them buy back shares. That's what they're going to do. So, listen, again, don't mean to be glib. Don't mean to pound chest. Haven't been having, having a lot of schnapps here, at least not yet. Um, all I'm really saying is outside of tech, which we know is important, there are reasons to look at these cyclical stocks. All right. All right. Have fun. Be safe. Jimmy Chalet, we'll I'm, see you back. We'll see you back here. I'm having a great time. Thank you for inviting me on today. This was very nice of you, Scotty. Yeah, Thank we you. had we obviously had to hear from you, Jimmy. We appreciate that. That's Jim Labenthal. Um, Jenny, Whirlpool, since we're talking about earnings, right. um, this one's getting washed out. Get it? Oh, down You're on fire. Down seven percent. I love Jimmy Chalet. Well, down seven percent. So, so here's the scoop on Whirlpool, but actually I feel like it's better to talk about three of my big earnings companies all at once. So I've got Whirlpool, which is down seven, JetBlue, which is down, and Cisco, the SYY, Cisco, the food service that's up. So all of these are fed by consumer, right? And, and they're all different. But Whirlpool, for example, we'll start with that one. Whirlpool, we all know what they do. They make washers and dryers. I bought this originally at 128 last May. And I didn't put a full position in because I wasn't really sure how the health of the consumer would work out. So I waited until, until you know, a couple earnings. And then last quarter, it wasn't great. Stock traded down to 104, and I increased the position there. So, so where are we today? Where we are today, and the reason it's down is really annoying. They, I, 
numbers were great, actually, but they their adjusted outlook, guidance. Their outlook wasn't great. No, but this quarter's earnings were great. The outlook, and it wasn't even terrible. It was they, they were expecting, um, or analysts were expecting $15.34 of earnings in 24. They said, look, the range is going to be 13 to 15. So let's take the middle of that, and you've got $14 of earnings. At $14 of earnings, the stock is trading right now at eight and a half times. $14 of earnings doubly covers the $7 dividend, which is a 6.25% yield today. And, and when you look at their business, 40% of their revenues come from new home construction. So if you say to yourself, I think this could be a bottom, and if we see interest rates come down, mortgage rates come down, new, new home construction pop back up, you're probably at an earnings bottom for them. And so you've got a stock at eight and a half times with a six and a quarter yield, probably at a bottom. Historically, it's traded at nine to 11 times. You put 10 times on that $14 of earnings, you have $140 stock. So you have, I would say, probably at least 20% upside. Plus you get the six and a quarter yield while you just wait this out. On Cisco, which is really interesting, well, actually, it's not interesting. That's the whole point. It's not interesting. It's boring. They, they had three and change percent revenue growth, 11 percent earnings growth. And what you learn here is the consumer remains stable. They just keep eating out. And I think expectation, the reason the stock's up as much as it is, is because expectations were for the consumer to weaken. And then you've got JetBlue, right? And so JetBlue, actually consumer demand is fine, but this is a company that actually is troubled, where they're the high cost, low cost operator. Their costs are high, but they also provide lower costs. So they've got more legroom, higher service, but they don't get first class seating prices to drive, to drive earnings at the margin. Where we are on JetBlue is obviously our investment thesis failed when we bought it, but what we know is that it's too Sounds cheap Sounds like you're now. in a middle seat in the back. <laughs> You're the lab. Uh, you know where I am? I'm in my not least a, favorite. A, I'm in the middle. Not a great place no, to I'm, be. No, I'm worse. I'm in the middle by the engine, and it's just loud. It's so loud. And what we need is, is for the noise to die down, the spirit noise to die down, and management just to come out and say, okay, dust is settled. Here's the path forward. Here's how we get back to $1 to $2 of earnings, which is where they were pre-pandemic. I think they get there, but we really need the noise to quiet down All right, on let's get one. the headlines with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott, good afternoon to you. Chinese and American officials meeting in Beijing today to discuss joint efforts to stem the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. It is the first true sign of cooperation in tackling the spread of the drug since late 2019, when relations between the global superpowers soured. And it comes after President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping met in San Francisco last November and agreed to work together to curb fentanyl production and export. Police arrested a San Diego teen and his father after officers say the teen threatened to carry out a shooting at his high school. Police say they found several unregistered, unserialized guns at his home and ghost gun-making supplies while serving a restraining order at their home. They also discovered explosives and rocket-propelled grenades. And Universal Studios announcing today a new park at its Florida resort called Universal Epic Universe. The park is designed around five worlds, each with their own theme, including Super Nintendo and Harry Potter, and will open in 2025. Universal is owned by CNBC's parent company, Comcast. Scott, back to you. Yeah, big day for the home team. Yeah. Silvana, thanks. Silvana, now. Coming up, bullish calls on the banks as the financials lead today. We'll find out how the committee is positioning for those next. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? 
or being able to take control of more than just the wheel. Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. All right, we're back. Let's talk some banks. Morgan Stanley today upgrades large cap banks. They upgrade Goldman and B of A to overweight. Well, they double upgrade City to overweight. You know, Jim Labenthal's in that one, too. Oppie, by the way, uh, calls the banks, quote, significantly undervalued. Recommend investors in particular overweight Goldman Sachs and Jefferies. They recommend BAC, City, JPM, Morgan Stanley, uh, and U.S. Bank Corp as well. Joe, you own JPM, you own Morgan Stanley, you own Goldman, you like City. I think as we came into the new year, you're asked the question, what is the one sector that will surprise you this year? Mm -hmm. Here we are approaching the month of February, and I will tell you emphatically, I think it's financials. I think financials, you're seeing a clear breakout. You're seeing it today. So far, year to date, you've got strong performance. Citigroup is breaking out, 52-week high, gaps higher, sentiments changing, volume is increasing. You could say the same thing for Bank of America. And then if you look through the entire financial sector, look at what insurance companies are doing. Look at what the research firms are doing. These companies are all seeing strong inflows year to date. And I have to tell you something, okay? In terms of mega cap earnings this week, for the benefit of an equally weighted ETF that I'm running, I hope mega caps miss because there's the opportunity for capital to finally go into these other areas of the market. And the one specific area that I would target, financials above everything else. Okay. Hmm. Jenny, you got Schwab, Community Bank. Amex, not exactly the, the big money center banks or the investment banks that we're talking about, but nonetheless, they fall under the financials umbrella. Right. And it's funny, we were just talking about banks in the office yesterday and started to dissect it. And if you look at this year's earnings, they're not that great, but then 25 and 26, they really start to explode. And so I think this year is the setup. So I'm wondering you know, if we should have been more aggressive and in getting into them now with people anticipating that 25 and 26, and if we're a little bit slow to it. But Schwab and Amex, you know, they're just different stories. Amex is clearly the industry leader there. We saw their earnings report last week, right, versus Visa and Discover. Amex is just crushing it. Schwab's a nice place to be um, where, you, you know, money just pours in forever. So I don't know. We have some exposure in financials, but the big banks aren't where we're at yet. Even more reason to own them. Earnings weren't good. Price performance is good. That tells you you want to own them. Okay, good stuff. All right, up next, the short seller, nicknamed The Assassin. Takes aim. Her latest target today is getting smoked following a new report revealed exclusively by CNBC. She'll join us live next when we come back just after this break. Welcome back. Shares of for-profit education company Adtalum are down sharply this hour after a short seller nicknamed The Assassin revealed a new bet against that company. Our Eamon Javers broke the story joins us live. Eamon? Hey there, Scott. Thanks. Yep. Ad Talum Global Education is a $2 billion for-profit education company, and now it's attracting the attention of noted short seller Fami Kadir and her firm Safket Capital Management. In a new report, which CNBC revealed exclusively this morning, Kadir describes the company as, quote, uninvestable. She calls the education company's business model, which depends in part on receiving federal student loan dollars as parasitic, and she says the company has not disclosed a Department of Education investigation into 
one of its components. But the company is defending itself. In a statement, a spokesperson for Adtelem told me, Adtelem provides quality educational programs that aim to prepare our students for gainful employment and are a good return on investment for both our students and for U.S. taxpayers. Fami Kadir joins us now live from the Managed Funds Association Conference in Miami. Fami, great to see you. Thank you for being on. Uh, the company says the Department of Education doesn't accuse it of doing anything wrong. So how do you respond to that? Eamon, I'd just like to say that any investigation, any bad publicity will affect enrollments. And at Atalum, over multiple years now, enrollments have been in decline. So the more students understand what's going on at Adtelem, the more questions that are raised, whether by us or by the Department of Education, that will affect sentiment. And we expect that will put pressure on fundamentals in the near term. Well, let me roll back the tape a little bit, back to the beginning of this. I mean, you are, you are a short-selling fund at Safket. Uh, you have the whole universe out there of companies. Presumably, there's a lot of targets. How did you pick this one? When did this company first get on your radar screen? We had followed at Tellum simply because we look at the for-profit university sector in general, because cyclically there have been plenty of blow-ups related to various investigations, um, school closures, so it's always interested us. But what we really took notice of was at Tellum's acquisition of Walden University, um, which closed in 2021. Um, we, were, we questioned the price of that deal and the liabilities that the company would be taking on when it made that deal. We're looking at a, a live look now at the stock price. It's down uh, more than 20% since this morning, since your report, report uh, was first aired by us on CNBC earlier today. Uh, how low do you think this can go? What's your target for the stock? And at what point are you gonna cover your shorts? Generally, we don't have targets. Uh, we look for outcomes. And the outcomes here would be greater transparency from the company, potentially regulatory action, enforcement action, and better outcomes for students. Um, and that's why we took a pause from our traditional business model and decided to speak out publicly on the name. So it was a high conviction name for us yesterday before anyone knew, and it continues to be a high conviction trade for us as we move into market close. And Scott, I think you've got some questions as well. I do. Hey, Fami, it's nice to have you on our show. I, my first reaction, I guess, when I saw this was much of one of, one of Eamon's questions about for-profit education, which, as you said, has really been under the microscope from short sellers for, it feels like, the last 10 years at least. Um, is this the only name in that group that you're currently short? It has been our focus simply because of the magnitude of funds that are being taken in and the fact we feel it's sort of um, evaded some of the scrutiny over the years. But again, that Walden acquisition really changed the fundamentals and the future for the company. Um, so that's why we chose to highlight at Tellum today. We are looking across the sector itself and you know, we will we'll see if the other companies are worthy of the same sort of investigative effort. Um, but I would like to just say that last year at the Investor Day, the CEO of Vatellum suggested that he hopes his children won't have to attend Vatellum schools, which I think should tell us enough about this company and the quality of it, the education it provides. And I guess the other question I have is, is whether you had any hesitation going public with a short 
just given the conversation around that over the last few years, you know, after the whole GameStop thing happened, certainly it, it felt like shorts were, were either shorting less or certainly being less public about their, their market activities. What about for you? Well, Scott, I've been doing this for nearly 10 years now, and this is the first time that I'm taking a single stance on a company in such a public way and presenting my thoughts and analysis on that company. Um, it is because we have that level of conviction on the, the, the level of the, the price action here, um, where, where we see the future for Atelum, and we believe that across not just the market, but the general public, the students that have attended these institutions, they understand where we're coming from. And we encourage anyone watching today to go and read our report. And we welcome any criticism, any questions, but we have put a lot of work into this, a lot of thought, and we feel that market participants um, and the general public um, will see the validity, the credibility behind our allegations. Fami, I noticed you didn't quite answer my question about uh, when you're going to cover your short position here, how low is low enough for you and your fund. Uh, but So let me try a slightly different question, which is it seems like the risk to your position here is a lot of it depends on the federal U.S. Department of Education uh, and some of their mechanisms for withdrawing federal tax dollars from institutions they deem as at risk. At some point here, the, the Department of Education could come in and work with this company and try to get them on the right side of the rules to make sure that those tax dollars continue to flow. What do you think the risk is for your position from regulators and what do you think the right role for federal regulators overall is here? Eamon, I'd just like to clarify that we don't believe in any sort of binary outcomes as far as regulatory events. That is not where our conviction is arising from. What we would just like to say is that there are numerous risks to the existence, the operation of Atelum, and one of that is the, the level of regulatory scrutiny. Uh, we would welcome the department to come in and cooperate with the company and improve procedures, improve compliance and oversight. Um, but the reality is that all of that activity, you know, we don't need to get to the point of school, school closures, but all of that activity will affect the value of Atalum shares. Fami, uh, we're gonna have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time and insights. And Scott, I'll turn it back over to you. Eamon, I appreciate you bringing that to us very much. Fami, thank you as well for appearing on our program. That's Fami Kadir. All right, up next, Mike Santoli. He's here with his Midday Word. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli is at the desk for his midday word. A little bit of selling into these uh, earnings yeah. after uh, after the bell, right? Uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, AMD, all red. Uh, yeah, Among after others. we piled $4 trillion in market cap on the NDX yeah. in the last three months. Um, I, it's one of these things where nobody really has an edge, and I think the market trades as if there's no uh, defined edge here. I would also be very surprised if all of the big five that are reporting in the next three days trade the same way off the numbers. So I think you can kind of put that aside and say, you know, in general, the trend is positive. You know, these stocks don't owe you anything, but these fundamentals are great, and they're going to support the overall S&P 500 earnings outlook for the full year. Um, but then it leaves us with a, are we going to kind of develop into a, 
enough for now type of moment in terms of how much upside we've had, even if we do get a burst higher, 5,000 in the S&P sitting right there. So a lot to, uh, I think, digest over the next few days. Did you feel, I mean, is it fair to say this is a, a moment of truth for, you know, part of the AI trade, you know, for better yeah. or potentially for worse, right? Um, we said, you know, Microsoft's market cap is now above $3 trillion. Yeah, sure. Stock's up 9% year to date, um, bars high. Alphabet needs to prove that it's, you know, still in this game in a real way, too. I, I think that's true. It's such eye of the beholder stuff, though, because you, it's a combination of we can see the defined, you know, revenue path and Microsoft can show us that. And AMD's promised a bit, but maybe we've over given them too much credit for in the short term. But, you know, markets are capable of just kind of taking the germ of the idea and saying we've decided to believe for now. And, you know, so that's why I don't know if it's going to be knit so closely to, you know, all the line items that are reported today. It's a little more about do we, do we still feel good about this general trend or not? Well, we'll get more answers tomorrow, yeah. too, with the Fed. For sure. The Fed meeting, the decision, and then, of course, the news conference with the chair. I'll see you on Closing right. Bell. That's Mike Santoli. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Well, we got a big closing bell because we have a big evening after closing bell on overtime with those earnings, whether it's Microsoft, Alphabet, or AMD. Anker Crawford owns a lot of these names. She's going to join me, Mira Pandit, too, Sebastian Page, and then Stacey Raskon, the star chip analyst, on what really to expect from AMD after this meteoric rise in the stock, more than 80% in a few months. So I hope you'll join me then. So we'd like to highlight two big winners and two big losers. Um, one of the losers today is UPS, yeah. which I want to give to you. You've been watching it now. So bigger than expected revenue decline. They also announced the 12,000 layoffs, which are getting a lot of headlines today as well. So if you were looking for the stock to go down, is it down enough here? Not quite. And I'm super excited that it's down as much as it, as it is. Um, I started looking at this last year, about this time last year, and there was a lot of noise coming up. It was trading way above its historic multiple. Labor strikes were in, on the horizon and earnings were diluted from the pandemic. I needed all of those to normalize. I think the right price is about 132. So that's okay. what I'm waiting for. What's your final trade quick? Oh, Sabra Healthcare, okay. 9% yield, 5% earnings growth. Josh Brown, you have a final? I'm not in it, but Goldman Sachs looks like a breakout in progress. I think above uh, 400, this thing goes crazy. Okay, it's up near 1% here. What do you got? Nucor. Nucor, Steel Dynamics, either one, both of the earnings looking good. All right, good stuff. Uh, can't wait to see you on Closing Bell because we got a lot to chat about. I will see you then. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. At Audi, expectations matter. 
It's why what's standard on every Audi SUV are features that exceed yours. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel.